Sustainable, the podcast, is listened to in 20 countries over five continents and features inspiring interviews with leaders of sustainable practices. With your host, Tabby Jane, CEO and founder of EarthSelf, creating a global movement to educate leaders and organizations on the transformative power of nature-centered business. In episode 48, I spoke to Bonnie Chu, Managing Director of the Social Investment Consultancy, which helps charities and businesses maximise their social impact. Today, I'm speaking to Gwyn Jones. Gwyn Jones is a principal member of the Association of Sustainability Practitioners leadership team and drives the ASP's purpose to connect, challenge and support people to move themselves and society from unsustainable to sustainable practices in their businesses and private lives. His latest initiative is Purpose-Led Enterprise, which Gwyn leads and includes the collaboration with B-Lab UK promoting B Corps. Gwyn has been instrumental in the creation of several organisations focused on different aspects of sustainability that include GASCO, Global Association of Corporate Sustainability Officers, and ASP, Resilient Dorset, a group of senior managers promoting the adoption of social value and natural capital across Dorset public and private sector organisations. Welcome Gwyn, it's great to have you on Sustainable today. Cool. Thanks, Tabby. So let's get straight in. Why should we use nature as a starting point when it comes to sustainability? Um, stating the obvious, um, we are nature. Um, and I, I stress that because I think in the 1950s or so, we lost sight of that fact and we started to believe that we could do things better than nature could and that we didn't need nature. And a lot of our products and systems we set up reflected that and actually no matter what color creed race religion age you are we all obey one set of laws and it's called the laws of nature and working with those in harmony with them is just going to be so much easier less energy less time less money than working against them so to me it's as simple as that you know and in sustainability, the question I always ask people is, okay, you're in sustainability. What is it you're trying to sustain? Mm. And there's some really interesting question answers come to that. But um, the most obvious one is actually we're just trying to survive as a species and have a adequate, good quality of life forever. So that means we've got to learn how to live within the boundaries of this one planet that we've got. Uh, and we're reaching the limit on so many of the Earth's resources, clean air, arable land, uh, that we've, we've got to learn what no one else has ever done before, and that's how to live in a sustainable manner with the resources that we've got such that our children can continue. So, to me, it's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So then what would you say are the core principles of nature to work with and follow that you work with and that if people are using nature as a starting point that they should be considering as well? Yeah, um, it's a big question, that. And it was interesting because I've never really thought about it. But the old engineer in me says, well, there must be models and systems. But actually, I, I, I think it's it's so much easier. And this is maybe going to confound you. But I think it's the starting point is learn what you love and appreciate about this world and then learn how you want to keep those resources in abundance um and that is a, at, a, at a very personal level 
and at a, at a business level, if you like, because the the old model of um, you know just set up a business to make money, and irrespective of how much damage that might do to the planet or to society, we just can't do that anymore. The population is too big, and a lot of people have tried that, and it doesn't work. So, to me, it's the, the simple one is find out what you love and nurture it and set your business up so that it's also nurturing it because why would you want a business to be inadvertently destroying the very things that you care about? Yeah, and I, I, I like that because, I mean, I do know that there are a lot of like models and systems that say nature works like this and, you know, certain principles and stuff, but bringing it back to this real simple level, you're just talking about where is your connection? Where do you want to put your attention and your focus and then think about how you can sustain that? Yeah, connection is a really important word there because what I just described in the 50s, 60s was a disconnection. And a lot of people now realise we have to reconnect to understand not just who, who we are in the context of nature, but what's our relationship we want with nature. And, and, and as I say, we are nature. Nature's us. We're not an indivisible thing from it. Mm. So connections really important. Well, this is it. And I mean, I, I love what you, you say there about like the disconnect really happening in the 50s and the 60s. And it's it's kind of interesting because when you when you hear some other people say talk, they're, they're talking about how it was the Industrial Revolution that actually started the disconnect. I mean, do you think that it started back there and it kind of like hit a peak in the 50s? Or was there still a connection going on? And fundamentally, it was something to do with almost, I mean, I've, I've kind of wondered if with the 50s and 60s, it was a response to, you know, the second world war if we want to go really far back and i'm not old enough to remember this but it was when when we stopped being hunter gatherers and started being farmers mm. because at that point we stopped following nature and started to try and dominate nature we we, we started to cultivate crops that hadn't been cultivated we we cleared forests to make um fields and we stopped following the natural patterns the natural flow of animals and the prey and we started to to get this arrogance that we were better than nature, we could control it, which we could. But in the 50s, all hockey sticks, you know, all the curves are hockey sticks. They, we came out of the war with massive potential unemployment of all the troops coming back and with three or four key technologies that had gone into overdrive through the world, you know, biochemistry, um, electronics, communications. And suddenly we could do things at a speed that we'd never been possible before. And we had to create consumerism to consume the products quickly so that they'd be thrown away so that we could buy more stuff that the factories needed to turn out, whereas before they'd been turning out the tanks, the planes, and the ships. So consumerism was born in the 50s, and that, that turbocharged that disconnect from nature. And that's what we've, we've got to learn how to move from consumerism to what I would call is citizenship. Hmm. I like that. So when you're talking about we, we need to move from consumerism into citizenship and we need to reconnect, I mean, do you have any suggestions on how people could reconnect? Simple one, go and sit on the beach, <laughs> go, and, go and sit in a field, go and walk on a hill. That, that's, that's the, that is the simplest thing, you know, start to use nature as a resource, as an office. Mm. Is, is, and that's not possible for all people, right? There's a lot of people, they think that's crazy. But So let's, let's assume you're confined to an office. And you're talking about your business. So you're, it's either a business you're in or you're setting up a business. Then I would ask people again, just go back and think what you love in this world. You know, your family, 
nature, whatever it is, and then work out what the dependencies are to your business that's coming up. Because we have a broken model, I think. If you think of the three circles of, of um, the environment, society, and business, some people call that people, planet, profit, whatever it is, right? And you draw a Venn diagram with those. Nearly everyone, and most textbooks will show three intersecting circles with a middle bit in the that's this intersect of all three, and they say, "Oh, that's sustainable business." And I say that's actually completely dysfunctional, because what that's showing is that there's a part of your business which doesn't overlap with nature, doesn't overlap with society. In other words, there's no connection to it, and there's not a single part of anyone's business that is not directly or indirectly dependent upon nature for something, be it electricity, wood for the building, people, whatever, and society. It needs skills, education, people. So to me, the starting point is draw a small circle, which is your business, draw a bigger circle around that, which is your local economy, and all businesses are part of the local economy, and then a bigger circle around that, which is your community, because economies were created by and for communities, and then draw a bigger circle around that. So you've got four concentric circles, and the fourth one is nature. Now that drives a different way of thinking, because what that says is my business is a wholly owned subsidiary of the economy, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the community, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the world, nature. And I use those terms because that's, those are business speak, right? Mm. And then start drawing some arrows. So what is my business? How is my business dependent upon the earth? How is it dependent upon community? How is it dependent on the rest of the economy? And that's a really easy you know, think process to do. You get three people in a room. You can put that together in 15 minutes. And then you do the other side. So how is my business going to create value for those very same things? And this came up in Dorset where we set up Resilient Dorset. And the clue, the, the, the quest was, how can we let business people understand what parts of nature and community their business is dependent upon? And then let's work out how that business is going to replenish and regenerate those very resources which it's drawing down. Because if it's not, it is unsustainable. In other words, it cannot sustain itself because it's exhausting a finite resource. So oil companies can never be sustainable because oil is a finite product. They need to move to sustainable products like sunlight, wind, etc. So that, that model of redrawing those circles, putting your business right in the center of nature, and then working out how is it dependent upon nature, and how am I going to nurture those things I'm dependent upon. So it, it, my simple analogy is I like beer. I drink beer from my fridge. If my wife is not supplying the fridge quicker than I'm drinking it, I've got an unsustainable beer habit because it's going to run out. But that's what businesses are doing today. Mm. And the other important thing there is that, because you then come on to, okay, that sounds like a bit of a, an academic exercise, but actually think about it. If you are going to create value and benefit to the earth and to your community and to your economy, do you think your business is going to be more successful or less successful from a company that just makes money? Because if you're creating value for those other stakeholders, 
And you can include in that clients, staff, suppliers, these are all part of the community and your investors and the earth. Then if you're creating value for those, the more value you create, the more valued your organization will be. Yeah, I really like this. And it, what it's reminding me is... Um it's quite funny what you're saying ties in with uh, another episode of the podcast and we had um, Ian Thompson who was actually a professor of accounting and sustainability and he was talking about a circular economy accounting model mm. and this is a very similar exercise to what he actually suggested is like before you even think about how you account in a sustainable manner think about what you love and figure out how to actually measure that so I, I, I love the connection and I will put the link link in so people can listen listen to that that episode as well on the back of this one perfect because to me the circular economy is the first and only possible sustainable business model we've come up with yet mm. because it's based on the circular nature of nature the fact that you, there's no waste in nature the only waste on this planet is what we as human beings create in the manufacturing processes no other species creates waste it's just food for the next process mm-hmm yeah, definitely. So lots of food for thought there. So then why do we need more purpose-led businesses in the world? What is the connection between purpose-led businesses and sustainability and what we've been talking about? Right. Well, let, let's start at a very personal level. You know, ASP, the, the, the organisation I help run, the Association of Sustainability Practitioners, does not recognise organisations. It only recognises people because people are the constituents of organizations and they're the people that they're the ones that make the decisions and choices so if we can help those people make wiser choices the organizations will be better so for good businesses we need people who are motivated and it's very true that most of us work better when we have a really when we believe in what we're doing when we have a purpose and i don't necessarily mean a grand purpose like you know saving the world but it could be a purpose for the next 10 minutes you're really motivated by what you're going to do or the next week or the next month so it's really important that we understand the meaning of what we do um and i think in the 50s 60s or many times we've seen project or companies set up with the express aim of only to make money there's nothing wrong with making money the problem is a company set up with only that purpose tends to ignore all the dependencies and value it could create for those other stakeholders. So, it's, so for me, social enterprise or social entrepreneurship is when a, a company is set up with the clear purpose to create as much value for all the stakeholders as possible without preference. And riversimple.com is a good example of that. But what I mean by that is, in simple terms, the, the purpose of the company is to serve and create value for nature and for the community and for its its economic model. So it makes a profit while it's generating extra value for the community it works within and creates extra value for the planet on which we work. And although that sounds a big ask, you talk to anyone that's setting up a, a CIC today and they've got a clear purpose. You know, it might be to specifically benefit one part of the community but because they're working on purpose, it's almost impossible for them to work in purpose in one area and ignore it in the other. So it would be absolutely absurd for someone like um, Oxfam to completely eliminate poverty and hunger in the world, 
and trash the planet while it's doing it because that's the very place where those people are living. So actually, and this is what a lot of companies and what, what's happening with the EPA in the States at the moment, big argument about that being reduced. One argument is, look, the companies are beyond that because their staff and their customers will not tolerate now a company that trashes the planet, that uses fossil fuels in excess, that doesn't look after the communities it's in. We've all got used to these ideas now. So it's very important for, I think, businesses to understand that purpose, not just because they want to be successful, but because businesses are made up of people and people want that. So that brings meaning into their lives. People don't want to be going to work and being embarrassed or ashamed of the, the outcome of their day's work anymore. So then what resources would you recommend for businesses and organisations that wanted to either become more purpose-led or to use nature as a starting point? Right. I mean, there's some, there's some good models and uh, tools, etc. out there. Um, I think one way of looking at it is that an, an organisation can be purposeful or sustainable in three different ways. By the way it runs itself, the way it is, the state of being, so how it treats its staff, the the principles behind how it treats its suppliers and its customers, you know, with respect, etc. Um, so that implies to me a lot of work on how you design the organisation, how you allow people to to flourish and work within that. So you could look at you know, new structures. The old hierarchical top-down pyramids clearly don't suit a, an awful lot of young emerging businesses. So look at Teal, look at sociocracy, look at holacracy look at networks rather than um, hierarchical uh, structures where people feel much more inclined to contribute and uh, are asked to lead more. But then we've mentioned it before, you know, you've got to design some business tools, things to sell, products, services, circular economy, start there. You know, we've been looking at how you create a circular bank, how you'd create a circular uh, education system. And it works using the circular economy principles. So it doesn't matter what service you're doing, whether you're offering services or offering products, think about how you actually design, build, and reuse the very things that the that, that resources are using. But two other ways of being, I think, that are really important um, resources are simple technology like open space, where you let go of the control and see what happens. You let people talk about what they're passionate about, what they're worried about, rather than what you as the organiser thinks important. Do that in an organisation. Hold a five-hour open space session. You'll probably have more creativity and insights into how your business is running and could running than you would ever been able to dream up in an agenda. So mindfulness, meditation, both really important. Do nothing actively for a couple of hours and see what creativity emerges. And there's a great one coming up at the moment, which is great gaining credence, is street wisdom, which is mindfulness. But the idea is just go out on the street in four different mindfulness phases and just ask yourself different questions and just observe. You could do it in nature. You can do it in the center of a town. Um, but those sort of things where it's moving, I think, to more like leadership without the control. And in the past, we've confused management and leadership. And I think what we need now is more leadership, less control, more emergence, more involvement from people, more 
chance for creativity, chance for their passions to become part of their business. So a bit of a rambling answer possibly, but um, I think there are good intellectual and academic models out there, but I think you know, the open space, the meditation, the mindfulness are fundamental ways of being in an organization that encourage uh, the company to, to blossom more. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just going to summarise what you said there, because I mean, you, you had a lot of great, great points there. And you mentioned there's three. So it's first look at the way that it runs, you know, how you work with your staff, the principles, how you design the actual organisation yourself, and then start looking at how you design the products, how you can design them so you can build and reuse whatever products and services in a circular economy model. And then make sure that you're using tools and techniques like mindfulness and meditation and street wisdom to be able to give people access to creativity and innovation yeah beautiful summary and there's a fourth point which um actually is where the whole movement of sustainability started which is corporate social responsibility which crudely put was writing checks to charities it it did not impact in any way the way the company did its business so it could be trashing the planet and giving fifty thousand pounds to oxfam when it thought it was doing fine but there are some great examples now where companies like um Express courier companies. How the hell do you make an express courier company sustainable? They've got diesel vans with men. They've got planes flying everywhere. But there is something, there's some great examples where they are using the talents and skills they've got about understanding how road systems work, how transport works, where they're going into the community at no cost and redesigning um, street layouts around schools to minimize accidents, to minimize air pollution, to make it easier for the children to walk an extra mile a day. They don't have to do that, but that's just a pure gift of the talents and techniques they've developed as a business. It's a gift back to the community, and everyone benefits from that gift. The staff love it, the community loves it, and the company's reputation, quite rightly so, is greatly enhanced. So that's a that's the final bit of the picture, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. Leveraging the existing skills within the business to do good for all the, the stakeholders and using your four business circle things to do good for the, the business, the economy, the community and nature. Yeah, absolutely. So how has a focus on purpose-led business impacted the way that you live your daily life then, Gwen? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a switch that was thrown. Um to get here, it's been a, a real journey and a real evolution. Um, it started with me being extraordinarily successful at earning shed loads of money in the computing business um, and then realizing that I was actually destroying everything else of value. So I was earning lots of money and just, just wrecking family life and social life, etc. because I was just pouring every hour into the work. Um, and I just walked off the cliff one day. I just said, I'm not going back into this. Um, and it's taken about 10, 15 years to work out how to be differently in a way that um, really nurtures me as an individual and nurtures those around. And it's you know, it's a lot of phenomenal input from some amazing people um, on the way. But it's culminating now in me really focusing on two things. One is with ASP, we're now – the big initiative for this year is to, is to promote purpose-led enterprise and to create learning spaces where – we can all come together with different levels of expertise or questions and just learn from each other how to create these new organizations that no one's created before. How would they work? You know, all these questions need to be answered. 
but also I'm setting up my own social enterprise called Growing Community, which is looking at how we can grow powerful communities one person at a time. So it's the idea is growing citizens to grow communities. And we're starting off with helping children at school to discover who they actually are, what qualities and uh, strengths they've got. And we do that by putting them in nature-based projects and let that side, the non-academic side, flourish and then taking that back into their community and their schools and building on that. So setting up that um, growing community has been you know, a beautiful exercise in, in how to create, for me, a social enterprise in ways that works for me and the co-founders. So now it is, it is simply my only way to be, is to lead a, as much as possible a purpose-led life, which encompasses all the other activities like earning a living and doing all sorts of other things. So I, I, I don't distinguish now between work and my life. There's just life and it's got all these other elements in it and there's got to be resonance. So it's become, so the two activities I'm at now with ASP and with Growing Citizens are really two sides of the, of the same coin. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So then who do you most admire and why? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one because I'm uh, just wondering who's going to be a, a object not being mentioned on the list. But it's someone who I've never met. Well, I've never met two of these guys. Um, one of them's a guy called Peter Reason. Um, if you Google Peter Reason, you find out that he did the Responsible Business Practice MSC. He did it. He ran it. He set it up in Bath University many years ago, um, and it moved over to Ashridge when he uh, retired. Um, anyone that's been on that course has just such a different way of being. And I work with, at any one time, half a dozen of them, and I just, the, I just learn so much from these people as human beings, but as thought leaders. And I think that course was revolutionary and it's faded out now, sadly, and I don't think there's anything to replace it. And I think Peter had such vision in setting up that course the way he did. So if you're listening, Peter, I take my hat off to you. You've been a massive influence in my life and many other people's. Um, the other one is Otto Sharma. Uh, I just... I was totally confused when he brought out Theory U, but I use it every day now in a very simple way. Um, and if you haven't heard of it, uh, there's a phenomenal book called um, Leading from the Emerging Future. He did a MOOC on it. Well, he does MOOCs on it every year now. But um, to me, it's this idea that when you're looking at a situation or a problem, you open your mind to it first. You accept the reality of what it is. But then you open your heart to say, well, how do I feel about this? What is it? the rest of my sense is telling me about this situation my reaction to it and you'll be inspired to do something then but you've got to go to the third level and the third level is go down to opening your will and that's what he calls the bottom of the you where you're present and from that point as he said in theory you only sustainable ideas will emerge from being in that place from being present and to me another way of saying that is that sustainability is the outcome of conscious thinking and behavior. It's not a discipline. It's not a set of techniques. It's the outcome of how you think and feel and then how you act. So theory U is massive and it's really easy to apply um, if you put your mind to it. And the other one is Mac, which I know this will come on to one of the other questions to ask. Mac McCartney at Embercoom. Embercoom has just been so important for me. 
um, in my own personal development, but I see people just make such um, quantum shifts in the whole way of being at different points, like popcorn popping, you know, on when I'm at Embercoom and I see the children that are benefited by it. And that was the inspiration for setting up Growing Community because Max's dream was always to have a garden to grow people. And he's right, people do grow when they're at Embercoom. And the challenge was always, well, how do they step back into their normal life, their daily life after being at Embercoom? And eventually we all learn how to do that. But, you know, Max perseverance, a vision, but also perseverance to, to keep that place going and thriving and to take it into the next stage of evolution. Uh, Max, truly inspiring. Hmm. Yeah. So that's it for me. I love that. So we've talked a lot about nature, but what is one of your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why, Gwen? Yeah, it's difficult because I spend so much time now in nature and I love it all. You know, and I've lived in Switzerland, in the hills, etc. But actually, to me, it's got to come back to um, Embercombe and, you know, because I've had so many just breakthroughs there in my own perception of who I am and, and what is nature. Um, there's one particular thing that struck me. Um, there's a medicine garden in, in Embercombe and every year in August they have a ceremony um, where they make balm from the, the honey that the bees produce on their site. And we have a we light a little fire in the centre of the medicine garden and people just come along with one stick, add to the fire, taste some of the, the honey, rub some of the balm on, collect flowers to, to add into the, the honey. Um, and it, it, it sounds very, you know, sort of new age-ish. But two years ago, there were 40 people standing around this fire on a boiling hot day. There were about 10 or 15 children around there. And they just stood in utter silence, really calm and peaceful for about 15, 20 minutes. And it's one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. And, yeah, it was just so simple, just so simple. And that, to me, was an indication of how beautiful things can be and how powerful they are because everyone comes away so supercharged to live well after a simple ceremony like that. Um, now that was a that was a really magical experience. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it sounds as if I mean nature is definitely the source of inspiration for everything that you're doing as well because of that time that you're spending out and the the moments that you're having, like the the experience you've just described at the medicine garden. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today then, Gwen? Um, well, I hope they'll be inspired and not inspired to do what I've done or enter into discussions like you and I've done, but inspired to trust themselves, to believe in their own ability to do whatever they want to do. Um, and that's a huge responsibility then of finding out what you want to do, but um Life can be really simple, and but if you've got the inspiration and the passion, and your you know your your mind, your heart, and your will are open, you can do amazing things. And we need that now. We need people to be going that extra mile. Um, and I don't think the evidence approach. And I'm not trying, hope I'm not sound like Donald Trump here. You know, <laughs> I love facts. I'm a scientist, but um, when you really want to do something that you really believe in, then People just need to get out of your way and let you do it. 
So that's where I would start. If you've got something you want to do, find out what the passion is, find out what it means to you, and then talk about that to people. Because as we were saying before about getting people in your project, inspire them and they'll come and then let them do their bit. And, you know, you've got as good a chance of succeeding as anything then. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for your time today, Gwen. Thank you, Tabby. It's been a lovely chance to talk with you. If listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature-Centred tab. And as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Alison Holt, Director of Natural Capital Solutions, to find out what exactly natural capital is and why it's important if you're wanting to create a sustainable business. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org. Or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.